Hey, John. Hi, Dan. What's happening over there? Oh, it's uh, real complicated here. You see my uh, <laughs> my computer. Um, it said that there were some updates that it couldn't install automatically. Oh, right, right, right. And so it said, you know, over and over for day, days and days on end, kept saying this to me. It seemed like such a small thing, such a simple thing. Yeah. That's what the computer was trying to get me to think. And so finally, you know, I had a few minutes before you were going to call. I was like, oh, you know, I'll just throw this thing out there and update this so the computer yeah, stops sure. yeah. freaking nagging me. Mm-hmm. And then immediately it's like, ha, 35 minutes. Mm. And so I'm sitting around and I'm, you know, texting you. And uh, the computer takes its sweet time. And then uh, when it uh, when it comes back up, of course, everything is uh, everything has to be reset. All my audio stuff right. is back to like, oh, oh the yeah. mics, mics aren't on and the headphone volume is seven times too loud. And, <sighs> you know, well, it's you just sound like, for what it's worth. You sound really good. You sound better than last time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dan. You mean my, the audio quality is better? Yes. Yeah, well, I just keep trying to upgrade this system every every day, just putting new stuff uh, in the signal chain. Well, whatever you did is good. I didn't do anything. It's exactly the same. Well, it sounds better. But I'm just, you know, my mouth, I guess, is better. Your mouth sounds better. Yeah, it's a better, I got a, I've been working, <laughs> working out. Yeah. I've been working my mouth out. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. We'll all benefit from that. Yeah, well, some more than others, but yeah, yeah. Every, hopefully, everybody benefits. <laughs> Everyone does in one way, some way, some small way. So, how are things? How's you know? I've got it. We've got to check in. Listeners want to know. I want to know how is your uh, your healing process, your recovery process going? Uh, you know, I don't want to make this a uh, like no, a medical know. interest podcast. No, I mean, but, I feel uh, like we have, we check in at the top of the show and we move on. Uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, I guess, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been doing really well. I've been mm-hmm. walking every day. I'm standing up straight, shoulders back, stuck, tucked in my stomach and, you know, and just walking, getting my, getting air in my lungs and so forth and feeling good. And my, my, uh, my, my back felt better and better. And it was, you know, it was starting, I, I even considered like, hmm, maybe I should mow the lawn. Oh, but then I was like, I better, I better like, I better wait on that. Yes. And then, uh, who, what would it have been? Uh, maybe late, uh, the night before last, I was getting out of the bathtub. Okay. And felt a very sharp pain oh, in my no. back. Oh, no in a different location than where the problem was located before. And since that time, I've just felt like I'm in pain again, but it's coming from somewhere else. I feel like slipped a second disc. No, Uh, my shoulders now are out of whack. Everything just like something just sprung uh, which, you know, is very similar to what happened with my, um, when I went to see the rolfer, mm-hmm. you know, just doing something simple and, and, yeah. and my system is all ganked and now I'm like, um, now I'm all screwed up. So what that has done though, is that it felt like a big setback and it, and it has caused my, 
you know, I was for the last week or so, every time I stood up or sat down, I was really conscious of what was going on. My, I was keeping my shoulders back all the time, standing up really straight. And just yesterday I felt just really discouraged. Mm. And the effect of that was that I just started to slouch because Mm. it was like, uh, you know, stand up straight. Great. And then screw yourself up even worse. And, you know, it's just, it's, and, and it's not that, it's not that much in the, in my conscious brain as much as it is. Um, uh, this is a thing I think I've faced my whole life. Like you encounter a setback Mm -hmm. and the discouragement then becomes a, uh, almost a greater obstacle than the initial plan or program sure, or right. problem. Right. And so, and I'm, I, I, for some reason I'm really susceptible to that, um, to that kind of like, well, that didn't work. And, and it happens to me all the time because I, uh, I was conscious of it. I played this show last week and uh, after the show, I just, it was a very mild feeling of discouragement, but, but nonetheless feeling like, well, well, I guess, you know, that's over with, mm. but the ne- I'd been sitting at the piano every day for, for five weeks working on stuff and jotting stuff down and trying stuff out. And I got home from that show and was just like, well, you know, the piano just kind of looks like not that enticing yeah. anymore. And so I haven't sat at it for, for, uh, well, for a straight week now. And I don't know, I don't know what to do because none of these setbacks are really that bad. It's not like I, it's not like I went and played a show and got this like evil pan mm-hmm. in some newspaper. I just felt like, well, that was fine. Didn't go that well. Felt it was a little embarrassing, actually. Um, but then it's just like, pfft, on to the next half-assed thing. And uh, and it it very much is a state of mind. Right, sure. But, but it that, of all my psychological habits, is the one I think that probably is maybe the subtlest... Um, the subtlest kind of iteration of that, mm-hmm. those voices in the, in my head. It's not, it's not saying you're stupid or you're a failure. It's just like, well, too bad about that. And anyway, so I'm sitting here trying to sit up straight and it just, it doesn't have the same, uh, it doesn't have that excitement of like, I'm getting better. Now it has that, now it has a feeling of like, well, maybe you'll never get better. And, and it's a lot harder to engage in like last night I didn't go for a walk. It just, you know, it just sort of, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a setback like any other, but I, 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 I so much admire people who encounter a setback like that and they just redouble their efforts. They're just like, no, I will overcome. I don't know how I've never met anyone like that. I've heard about people like that. For me, it wasn't like that. Like I'd get a setback and I'd be like, because like what you're describing, I think is, was normal for me also because like you're using 
you know, like as your as your back is recovering, uh, the other muscles are like kicking in to do the work of the injured muscles or the the ones that are recovering. So you've got these other muscles and other parts of your back that are like they're doing more work than usual. And maybe those muscles haven't really been used at all or recently. And so you're like, as soon as you start doing something that like puts your back in the right way and you're holding it different, like you're not used to sitting up straight or standing up straight or holding your shoulders back. And like, those are muscles that are underdeveloped, you know? And so then things get knocked out of whack and you're like, Oh my God, like that was the worst. Like I had that many, many times in my own healing process and still have it where something will happen. I'll be like, great. Now I'm like, feel like I'm back to square one with a different problem. Um, so like, but I, I never like charged back into it. Like, yes, I'm going to push through. It was always like, Oh my God. Like, it's almost depressing. Like the clinical kind of de- depressing, not like, Oh, bummer, man. But like, now I don't even want to do, now I don't even want to work out. Now I don't even want to do the stuff I've been doing. Cause obviously it's like, you feel like it's dumb or it's not working or it's not helping. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's abnormal. No, there's nothing abnormal about it. I just don't. You got to keep going. I'm going to tell well, you to keep going. You got to keep yeah, going. Yeah, but but that's that's the thing, right? I mean, I I know I have to keep going, but but the discouragement acts upon me in a way that is harder, not maybe not harder, but it's just it's 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 difficult to compare to um to what it how it may be acting on other people. But yeah, I've been feeling um depressed uh and it's important for me to remember that although although i have had very good results from my bipolar treatment yeah which was absolutely against all of my expectations i had no real belief in psychopharmacology. I thought it was a racket. Right. And I've had really good results from, um, medication, which was like, it continues to astonish me, but I still have bipolar disorder. Okay. And I don't, and I'm still reluctant to acknowledge it. What do you mean by that? Because I would say you've done an excellent job of acknowledging it and talking about it on the show and and everything. Well, except that, like I have a, 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 someone close to me just went to a friends and family of bipolar support group. Okay. In order to understand better (laughs) why they struggled to interact with aspects of who I, who I am. Um, so although I'm taking this medicine and I no longer feel like I'm, I'm facing, uh, demons everywhere. Yeah. I clearly am still exhibiting bipolar behavior enough that two years into my treatment, um, people close to me are still wrestling with it. Like, well, you know, and they, and they, they roll their eyes at one another and make, make, uh, you know, like silent gestures with their hands. Uh, when I say, 
Oh yeah. Well, you know, so it's so interesting. I bought a helicopter yesterday and they're just like, Oh boy. And, (laughs) and I don't, um, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to deal with it more than I already am. Like I found some medicine. It keeps me from feeling desperate. I believe that it keeps me down out of the trees, but I don't want to go to a support group Mm -hmm. and I don't want to think about whether or not my behavior could be corrected again. like further either by doing something differently personally or, um, or taking a different medicine or like, I don't, I, and the thing is I'm not, I'm not as we've discussed, like super happy, but, but the prospect of messing with it. Yeah. No, that's Yeah. Scares me. And, and so lately I've been, I've been suffering from depression, but it's not, it's not the kind of depression that used to just wipe me out. It's back in that family of depression where it feels like, boy, I'm not eating right. I'm not exercising and I don't do anything. And that's all true. I'm, I'm not, I'm not healthy and I don't, I'm not engaged. Mm -hmm. And those are good reasons to, I mean, those are things that you can do something about. Um, and the psych, as I've discussed before, like the cycle of depression is such that, yeah, there are things that if you did stuff about them, you would, it would make you feel better, but you feel bad enough that it's very hard to do those things, those simple things. And you just, you know, you're caught in this Ouroboros of, um, of, and and in this case, it's low grade depression, or it feels. But like all depressions, it feels va- it feels valid. Mm-hmm. It feels like sure, there's a reason you feel bad. And the the problem is when I think back to like catastrophic depression, that was also the logic of that kind of depression. Like you f- you are bad and should feel bad. Um, so. You know, there's clearly, clearly I'm like bumbling along and I don't, I don't know what the next step is, but I'm, I'm very, very, um, not just reluctant, but like resistant Mm -hmm. to the idea that I would go sit with a bunch of people in a, in a church basement somewhere, like an AA meeting and listen to them all talk about the helicopter they just bought. Right. Right. Sure. And, and feel any commonality with them. Like when I go, I do go, I've gone, let's say I don't go, but I've gone to bipolar websites uh, where people are doing, um, you know, uh, group talking. Right. Sure. And it just is so annoying just immediately right away. And partly it's, I mean, I don't know, like mental health stuff. Uh, there are like deeply troubled people. And there are also a lot of people that, that are very, they, they really need attention. Mm-hmm. And on the, uh, in these communities, you'll get a discussion that starts. That's pretty interesting. Somebody's like, does anybody ever have this? And somebody answers reasonably. 
And then pretty soon it derails with somebody that's like, well, I've got 74 disorders <laughs> and you know, this is level up and you're just like, well, how I can't, I, I, uh, this isn't fun. <laughs> this, this isn't where, this isn't where I belong, you know, is what is the feeling that, right. That it produces. Right. And so, I mean, like every situation where you're trying to find a community, I don't know how to find one that feels wise. It's the same with, with Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm, I'm making the exact same complaints that I, uh, that I encourage people who, who say like, I can't go to Alcoholics Anonymous, but they're, but they want to quit drinking. I say, look, nobody wants to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's terrible. There's not, I mean, people who have been going for 30 years get to a thing where they're like, I, you know, I like it or, right. Um, but even they say things like I need it or, you know, that's like, it's a fellowship more than I love it (laughs) because it, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is, it's uncomfortable for everybody. But I know that world enough that I can say, I can say that, but like some kind of support group for people that keep buying helicopters. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to, well, and partly, partly it's that I want to keep buying helicopters and I, and, and right, um, you, 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 you like the way things are right now well, as, as opposed no. to the way they were or what? What, what, the way things were, uh, that was just like constant desperation in my life. It wasn't like I was bummed. It was that I was wrecked. Right. And I'm bummed. How long? Now. How long did that? Were you in that state? I mean, how long did that go on for? How many years? Like your whole life? No, not my whole life, but like years. Um. Uh, it was a, it was a descending, it was like a, it was like a gradual descent into a, like a gradual descent into Super, super bummer town. Right. Um, I mean, I, uh, what do they say about bipolar? I guess it, it doesn't come on until you're in your twenties. Maybe I, I always was tangling with stuff and, and being, being alcoholic also, it's hard to know like exactly what, like what contributed to it or what, well, yeah, how do you tease out what's what? I mean, I, the, the first time I, the first time a psych, psychiatrist diagnosed me with what at the time was a brand new diagnosis, attention deficit disorder. This is before even they called it attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Right. It was a brand new diagnosis. And I sat in a psychiatrist's office and it was even a psychiatrist I knew and and a person I liked. And he ran a battery of tests. He had me look at a computer screen and I guess play Pong or I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it was some kind of long, long series of evaluations. Sure. Yeah, of course. I play, have you play Pong? 
Yeah, they've had me play Pong yeah. on a tabletop game. <laughs> see, uh, see how many uh, just, Mai Tais I could drink. Right, just <laughs> see if your performance improves or declines <laughs> over the course of the hour. We would like to say thank you very much to Casper. It's a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper products, they are designed to mimic human curves. They provide supportive comfort for all shapes and sizes, all kinds of bodies. You know, because you spend one third of your life sleeping, you want to be comfortable. And that's what they're all about. The original Casper mattress, they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. You've got a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And now they have two other mattresses. One called the Wave. One is called the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system that mirrors the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. You've got to check Casper out. I have one and I think it's amazing and they're so affordable. They sell directly to us, the consumers. There is no middleman and that's how come they can make these things so affordable and they even have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. It's a 100-night risk-free sleep on a trial. So they will send this to you and you get to try it for one up, up to 100 nights. If it is not for you at any point in that time, you call them up and they come and they take it away risk free. So go check these things out. Where do you do it? Casper.com slash roadwork. And if you go there and uh, you'll support the show and then you use the promo code roadwork, all one word at checkout. And what do you get? You get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. That's I have to say that. But go get your 50 bucks toward a select mattress. Ah, damn it. Got all stuck up. <clears throat> so go get your 50 bucks toward a select mattress by visiting casper.com slash roadwork and use the promo code roadwork, all one word at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, one more time. It's casper.com slash roadwork and the promo code just going there supports the show. But then you support yourself with the promo code roadwork, all one word. Go check these things out. There's no risk, and uh, you're going to get a much better night's sleep. Thanks very much, Casper, for supporting this program. And I was 20, I guess. And so afterwards, we're sitting in, sitting on his leather couch, and he says, well, you know, you're off the charts for attention deficit disorder. Mm. And it's really, um, that's great because this gives us some idea about how, how to treat you uh, and a lot of your, I think a lot of your struggles in school and a lot of your personal struggles are going to be helped by this medication. And I said, I mean, I was a snarky kid, but I said, does the fact that I drink 18 beers a day have anything to do with my problems? <sighs> and he laughed, but mm -hmm. then said, I think if we treat the attention deficit disorder, your desire to drink 18 beers will be di reduced. Diminished, sure. And I, I was like, oh, okay, great. And he gave me a prescription and I walked out of there and threw it in the garbage because I wasn't, because 
I wasn't going to take another medicine. Yeah. On top, and it's not like I was taking any medicine then, but I didn't want medicine on top of 18 beers. And I did not believe that I was drinking 18 beers because I had untreated attention deficit disorder. And part of the problem was then I didn't, I thought that the, the diagnosis of attention deficit disorder was snake oil. Um, I mean, I had pretty strong opinions about things and yeah. I recognized that, you know, <laughs> to be 20 years old is to have strong opinions about things that you don't know about. Right. But, you know, wha- what exacerbates what? Like, I don't know. They, they, some doctor when I was seven, cause I was a really great student as a kid. Mm-hmm but I was also very disruptive in school and depending on whether or not it was, I had a good teacher who was able to, I think give me independent work and like the good teachers always sequestered me somehow. They gave me a special corner of the classroom. They gave me other books. They gave me things that I could go do Mm -hmm. and Sometimes those teachers seemed like they really knew what they were doing. Sometimes teachers did that because they were exasperated. Right. They just sort of wanted it out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I had a teacher in uh, fifth or sixth grade that assigned me a tale of two cities to read. And that was a gesture of like, fuck you, kid. Uh, Right. And it was terrible. I mean, but I sat over in that corner and tried desperately to understand a tale of two cities not having ever even heard of the french revolution mm-hmm. uh just like just i was just just grappling with the words i didn't even understand what half the words were but it, and it and i didn't understand that this was that she was like basically punishing me um but but I, if, if a teacher didn't do that or most of the time they did it because I was disruptive right? and, and now I have a kid in school and I recognize how disruptive a disruptive kid is. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, you know, like tantrumy or, or, um, or mean or anything. I just had a lot to say about stuff and I, I needed, and I got done with my regular work early needed more, more to do. And so, a, a, um, so a doctor in the mid 1970s, uh, prescribed Ritalin. Oh yeah. R- yeah. Ritalin. And said to my mom, like, this will help him focus. This will, um, you know, treat his, his over enthusiasm or, or whatever it was, you know, the doctor recognized that there was something going on Mm -hmm. and gave this, uh, gave this prescription. Well, my mom's reaction somewhat typically, I guess for those, for us was he's a normal kid who's precocious and doing normal, normal things, which is like he wants to more, more books to read and I'm not going to give him a drug to dull him down so he can cope with being in a mainstream elementary school. And on one side, it's like, well, all right, if you're, 
if your kid isn't doing well in a general education context, maybe it's on you to put him somewhere else, like take him out of a, of a public elementary school and put him on a farm or have him go cut trail at seven or I don't know what get, send him to Christian school. I mean like who knows what, because the theories of education, then there were still plenty of people that were like kids like that need discipline. You know, there was an elementary school in Anchorage that started about this time that was called the, it was, um, it was a educational philosophy called the ABCs. Hmm. And Whereas a lot of schools were going in this direction of like no walls, no grades. There was this other movement of like, no, back to walls, back to grades. <laughs> right. Students <laughs> sit up straight in their chairs. <laughs> sure. And they learn algebra and they get hit with a ruler. And I remember in Anchorage, kids just cowering at the, even as you drove by the ABC schools. Yeah. You'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> Because you had just had this picture of teachers with crew cuts um, sitting in there, I don't know, just like disciplining. And I really didn't want that. But on the other hand, you know, my mom was poor and we didn't have – and she worked 60 hours a week. Mm. There weren't other options, education options. We didn't have resources, right? But she said – you know, figure out what to do with him, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to medicate him. And I wasn't, I don't think at the time aware of all that. I think that was happening at the adult level. Right. But whatever my mom's general feeling that, that that kind of child psychology and child pharmacology was quackery, which she felt very strongly about in the, in the early seventies, it very much influenced obviously how I ended up feeling exactly the same way about myself. Um, later on when it was like, because in the nineties it was extremely fashionable in my set of, of artsy 25 year olds or 22 year olds to be taking some kind of, medication and it wasn't it wasn't um like chic and nobody was taking these drugs to get high it was it it felt like a real albatross people were trying to deal with their problems their depression and their what what became attention deficit hyper uh, hyperactivity disorder which really plagued people but but i'm you know i knew a lot of people with mental illness either diagnosed or i mean yeah diagnosed nobody takes um whatever those drugs were i can't even remember them we used to mock them by name and now i don't even remember their names but nobody would choose to take them if they didn't if they weren't really earnestly trying to find a solution Mm -hmm. And I just scoffed at them, scoffed at them all. And some of them were bad. I mean, I watched good friends just get dull eyed and report back like, well, it's good. I mean, at least I'm not, at least I'm not feeling bad anymore, but you know, I just don't really have any energy or I just feel like kind of cloudy all the time. And I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. 
but when did I start to, when did my self-destructive, depressive, dramatic, hyperactive tendencies start to turn into feelings that were incapacitating? Like I quit drinking when I was 26. Mm-hmm. I had just turned and, and that was 18 beers a day on average? Oh, I mean, by the end, it was whatever, however, however much you could shovel into me. Not, not just beers. Um, Man. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I like, I'm, I'm a hale and hearty fellow and can drink a lot of beer just because, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that drink an awful lot of beer. Oh, yeah. Well, there are a lot of different styles of, of, um, uh, for lack of a better term, alcoholic, right? Right. There are people that only drink once a month, but when they do, they, they, uh, lose it. Mm. And so it's, it's just, you know, whether or not you have a drinking problem is it's very personal. Right. And, and it is in the, and you, you judge it by whether or not you feel like you're not, um, whether, whether you're fucking up. Right, and uh, there are a lot of people that that drink really heavily their whole lives, and they have a and they have a boat, and they never miss a day of work, and uh, they have a big red nose, and it matches their red polo shirt, and they go to college football games with their red nosed wife, <laughs> and all they do for their whole social life revolves around drinking, but they never fuck up, mm. um, and so you think, well, it's fine. Um, now I don't know what their kids would say about, about their lives. Um, but it's a, it's a reality of the drinking world. You can always point to someone else and say, well, look at that person. Mm -hmm. That person's, you know, like if they get the opportunity on the weekends, they wake up in the morning and they have a hair of the dog. Right. And drink all weekend. And when they go on vacation, it's all about drinking. And the whole reason they golf is so they drink and they just drink, 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 drink. That's, and they, and it's normal because they're, uh, because they're wasps and that's what wasps do or because they're, you know, because whatever they love sports and that's what sports people do or that's what their friends do or that's what they've always done. Um, not everybody ends up crashing their car living on the street. But there are, you know, there are people that drink once a year, but when they do, they black out for five days. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, you can't sit anywhere and decide for somebody else whether they're an alcoholic, but I, I know people who are maintenance junkies who have professional jobs like lawyer style Mm, jobs. Right. But who shoot up. Really? And they never OD and they never die in their car and they don't they don't end up tricking because they're they've got a job and they're somehow they manage to do their job and keep their lives together um, while also being 
you know, like, are, what do you say, drug addict? Or do you say like, oh, they've found a way to enjoy heroin? <laughs> like, we don't really talk about heroin as a thing that very many people are able to just just cook along with. But there are, there are plenty of people that that manage to integrate hard drug use into their lives. And you just go, here's a hat tip to you. But, but kind of like my own mental state, like you don't know what it's like without it. So it's hard to gauge whether or not, um, whether or not that's like living your best life or not. Right. Right. And I'm, and I'm in that, I've been in that situation for a long time. And I think, I think the, the manic depression meant that because I had these periods, because I, I, when I first heard the term rapid cycling, I assumed that what that meant was that you were manic and then depressed and then manic and depressed, like in the course of a month, because that's what it sounded like rapid cycling. Mm -hmm. But I found out later reading about it, that if you are manic for, if you're manic and depressed in the same year. However, that that's considered rapid cycling. Yeah. That, 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 you know, that your, your typical sort of bipolar two is much, you know, it's much grad, more gradual waves. Right. And so I was a, I was a real rapid cycler. I mean, I, I always felt like, and it wasn't on a, it wasn't because for, for a long time I was thinking, well, I have seasonal affective disorder or so, you know, I'm happier in the spring and sadder in the winter, but it wasn't true. Like I, the mania could come at any time of the year and so could the depression. But definitely in 2004, and at that point I was what, 35? At 2004, I spent probably four or five months in bed. Uh, the band had done the uh, Long Winters had put out two albums. They'd done relatively well. Um, I was working on a third album, and I was I was frustrated about it. And I hit a low patch, which was not unfamiliar to me, but it it took me out at the knees. And I was living a life where I would go to bed when the sun came up and I would sleep pretty much as long as I could. And then I'd wake up and lay in bed and I had my first laptop at that point, I think. And I would sit in bed and I would, I would just, I would write, I would write in my laptop. And so it felt like I was doing work. Like I wasn't just a, I wasn't just like a, like a slug. Mm -hmm. And then when I, when no one was around, when I could be guaranteed that I wouldn't bump into somebody, I would slump downstairs and I would make some macaroni and cheese and then quickly run back up to my bed and stay there until it was 
night and everyone had gone to sleep. All the world was back asleep. And then, you know, I would stay up until dawn watching poker on TV. And, you know, months and months went by. And this was during the period when I was arguably in the midst of, of the, like a successful music career. Right. I was, um, you know, I was still doing interviews with the believer and stuff over email and presenting myself to the world is like, Hey, what's up? Yeah, that's right. It's the long winners. John Roderick calling in from Babada. <laughs> uh, and my beard got really long. I went through that Howard Hughesy thing where I was like, I'm yeah. cutting my beard. And it was like down to the middle of my chest. And, and you could just see, you see in photographs, there aren't very many pictures of me from them, but you could just see like sad eyes. And somehow I rallied from it. And it's because, I cycled back and, and, um, and I got back up and I finished the ultimatum EP, which was not, which was not supposed to be an EP. It was supposed to be an album. And I went out and for a year, just like totally raged and recorded putting the days to bed during that period of just like, yeah. And I remember the day I got done with putting the days to bed, I was like, writing songs is easy. And here's what you need to learn. Like you just go back into the studio right away and make another record because just you're up on the horse, just stay on the horse. And that was the last record I ever made. Hmm. Because when I got, we toured for two years on that album. And when I got back to Seattle, um, I, I bounced along for a while, but then I, then I hit a, a trough that I couldn't really ever get out of. And from about 2008 till 2015, even when I would, even when I would be on an upswing, even when I would feel that mania, it never it never was the kind that just propelled me into the world like a rocket. It mm-hmm. was much more like, well, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling better right now. I feel like, yeah, but it was, it was more and more the case that the depressed side just started to just had a hold of my pant legs. I was just pulling down, pulling down all the time, pulling. But it, but that, you know, that wasn't clear at the time, and largely because, because it feels justified. I mean, that that six months I spent in bed, bed felt very justified. There were plenty of reasons why it seemed re- like a reasonable reaction, mm-hmm. even when it was clearly not a reasonable reaction to anything. Yeah, and o- only because, only because I have. Because by playing music, by having a, a, a job that's outside of the context of a daily job, I had the resources to be able to stay in bed for Right. Like you could, you could do that without penalty, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I was earning money. Right. And so it, feel, it, it felt normal and it felt – there are a lot of people who have been sober for years, decades – who still, 
or at least for for some portion of that time, still harbored the um, fantasy that there would come a day when their obligations to the world were retired. They'd done. They'd raised their kids. They'd they'd been sober throughout their career, and now they had a pension, and they were going to move to Florida, and they were going to drink. Like, and it's always said with a kind of smile, like they're holding out the prospect. Right, right. That, you know, because drinking is so great that they're going to want to retire to it. And, and it happens sometimes you hear stories in the, in the community of people that were sober for 30 years and then retired and just went somewhere and just drank, drank for a living. And it's a really, it's always a terrible story, right? It never ends with like, and they live to be 85 happily and in love with their spouse and just enjoying life sitting by their, sitting by the dock of their retirement home, having a, having some drinks with their friends when the, as the sun goes down, like, it just straight away turns into, yeah, they're drinking a bottle of vodka every day at lunch. You know, it's not, um, your drug addiction starts up right where you left off. All right. And I, uh, I don't harbor that kind of fantasy. Like, and I get asked that a lot, you know, do you ever think about, having a drink do you ever think think about what if what if you quit drinking because you were just 26 and mm. that was your problem what if your problem was just that you were 26 and you would have grown out of it it's like huh yeah i guess guess you're right guess that could be the that could be it too we would like to say thank you very much to brooke linen Brooklinen makes some amazing bedding, maybe the best bedding in the whole world. You know, you spend a third of your life in your sheets, right? And they make a big difference how you sleep. You're going to get better sleep if you have the best sheets, right? Brooklinen is the maker of these sheets. I have a pair on our bed right now at home and they're amazing. These are really high quality luxury sheets, but they're at a price that won't break the bank. And again, they've cut out the middleman here. And it's their philosophy is to create the most beautiful, comfortable home essentials without the crazy prices. So they're not marking these things up. There aren't fees attached. A lot of betting, it's marked up as much as 300%, which is crazy that they don't do that. And part of the reason that they're getting all these great reviews and you keep hearing about them is because they are just so good at any price. But at the price that they sell them at, you can't beat it. They just won the best of online bedding category by good housekeeping. And you can get these in all. It's not just white sheets, although I do have the white sheets. It's not just white sheets. You get tons of colors, tons of patterns. And you can mix and match them to match your decor. You want the, you know, the sheet to be this color, the undersheet to be. I mean, it's up to you. You do whatever you want. And it says luxury bedding. It's underpriced. You've got to try them out today. So here is the deal. This is a special offer just for listeners of this program. $20 off 
and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, at brooklinen.com. That's spelled B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. And the promo code you're going to use is ROADWORK, and you'll get $20 off and free shipping if you use that promo code. And they also have a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. That's how confident they are that you're going to love it. So again, there's no risk. 60 nights. So go check it out. Brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK to get $20 off and free shipping. Thanks very much to Brooklinen for making this show possible. Well, I mean, I know a lot of people who can't do the whole 30. You heard that, that whole 30? They can't do the whole 30 because they can't go more than a couple days without taking some kind of a, some kind of a drink. What's the whole 30? It's basically eating, eating well for a short period of time for 30 days. It's, it's eating kind of sort of almost the way that I've eaten for the last eight, eight years, but part of it involves not, not having alcohol. So it's like low to, to no carbs, no sugar, no processed foods, no alcohol, high protein, veg, lots of vegetables, um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people I know who people who have said, Oh my God, like I, I couldn't make, I couldn't make it. I only made it three days. I only made it three days. Then I had to, I had to have a, I had to have a drink. Uh huh. <laughs> and that's just that they don't, they weren't trying. Right. You know? Right. Um, because you know, anybody can do anything for 30 days. Right. Um, there are just a lot of people that don't that don't want to. I mean, the ones that astonish me. I ha- I know some people that were in AA for um five years, let's say sober for five years, and 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 com- connected with it. Con- you know, um, like really in it, and then they they tried that thing. They 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 had that thought of like, uh, well, you know, maybe I was just 26 and now that I'm 31, um, maybe I, I'm over it. I won't have that problem. I'm sure. cured of it. Right. And then they start drinking and then they're back in the bars and, mm. you know, and for years, I guess I would run into these people. Like I'd, I'd run into a bar to get a pack of cigarettes or something and i'd see some old friend that i knew from aa sitting there in the bar with that look of just like pure middle of the day drunken misery Mm. and they didn't want to look at me and and that was the thing that used to just astonish me was like how how could you have been over here Mm -hmm. Which admittedly is like not the greatest. Being in Alcoholics Anonymous is not like the greatest thing. But then be back over here sitting in the Comet Tavern like drunk at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And not after a, after a time feel like, well, maybe I should get back over to the – maybe I should – you know, I know the route right back to being sober. Um, that, those are the ones that are, that are confusing to me because if you're, you know, if you're 
drunk all the time, like it's a drag. Uh, but it's, it's in this same thing that this same sort of, uh, feeling like, well, maybe that's what I, maybe that's what I deserve. Or maybe this is, this is realer. This is, this is the truer life. The life that is closest to, um, reality. And that's the, that's the thing I'm wrestling with now. And I, and I, I guess one of the nice things about not being, about being on this medicine is that I no longer feel like, oh, this is reality. And I'm, uh, I'm living an honest life. I can see through that now. Right. It's just that whatever that thing is that would inspire me to do the dirty 30 or whatever you just called it. Whole 30, yeah. The whole 30. Yeah. The clean 30, not the dirty 30. Right. That's a simple thing to decide to do. It does. It has zero bad consequences. Maybe I should do the whole 30. Quit drinking uh, coffee and stop eating garbage and... I don't know if you have days. to get off coffee. I'd have to look in, into that for you. Oh, fuck. Well, if I can drink coffee, then there's nothing to keep me off of Yeah, that. I don't know. I'd have to look, look it up. Um, but, yeah, to feel like to choose positivity mm-hmm. like that. Even when I'm like amped up and manic, I never felt like choose positivity. It was never... Mania doesn't feel like everything's great in the world and you just want to be like a happy part of it. Mania feels like like you are, at least in my case, yeah, like raging, raging against injustice, raging against stupidity. And you, and it's, it's a very grand state, but it's, it's not like it sweeps away uh, doubt and insecurity. It replaces those things with, um, with a feeling of like superiority and, and hyper competence. Um, but those are super different than what would motivate you to eat well and exercise. And I, I guess that's the, that's the, the trick of it is that there's never, you're never in a state of just calm pursuit of, of normal good. So to do like the, the complete 30, is like it's like a small manageable gesture on a path to wellness and all of those words small manageable path wellness mm-hmm. none of those words are typically in my vocabulary right i want a grand unmanageable um express elevator to like massive success or failure. 
right? And then this was the conversation I've been having recently with my current psychiatrist who's saying in response to Dan Benjamin's question, are you happy? Yeah. He's saying, you know, happiness is the, in some ways, just the absence of all that grandiosity. And I'm like, that sounds boring. And he says, well, I mean, I mean, one other way of saying boring is saying like not in a constant state of, of, uh, like randomly buying helicopters. Right. Because that brings what to you? What is, you know, like it's just an albatross or every, every, all that drama, none of it brings you really any pleasure. But, but that's all like, that's all like, again, I don't know where to jump into the conga line of my own thinking or of the, or of thinking about the world and say, okay, I'm going to just like break apart this, this conga line of, um, of a thought process or processes and, and put something else in it, which isn't a conga line, but which is like, turn the lights on, everybody sit down. I'm going to bring out some, like orange juice and apple slices. <laughs> and, you know, and there are plenty of people that are like, that sounds fun too. Or, you know, that conga line was great. Like, let's turn the lights on. It's time to go home. And there are some of us that are like, what the, why are you, why would you stop this conga line? We could conga all the way out the door and down the street and conga forever. <laughs> right. And to turn into somebody that's like, no, I think you're sitting in the chair with apple slices, orange juice. That sounds amazing too. I mean, Jason Finn asked me the other day, are you hydrating? Jason Finn of the presence of United States of America. Yeah. Uh, in, in answer to like, I was, I was talking about my back and he was like, well, you need to stay hydrated. And I was like, oh, he's right. God. Well, I know, but like staying hydrated is such a, um, as a like daily pursuit is a perfect example. Like I love to get hydrated when it's time to get hydrated. I'm going to get hydrated, but to stay hydrated. I like that. Jason Flynn is like your Jewish grandmother. He is. He for sure is. He calls me all the time. He was like, I've got an idea. And then he lays out some idea. He told me that he had an idea for you at one. I hope he's okay with me saying this, but I don't really care. He told me he had an idea for you at one point and he presented the idea to you and it, it seemed you weren't into the idea. Uh, and then he subsequently tried to contact you and, and chat with you and that you, what the kids would say, you ghosted him. I don't know if it's ghosted or submarined him. I don't, I, I'm not sure if one, if they're a slightly different but you ghosted him until he then said, Hey, remember that thing I said, forget it, forget about it. And then you were able to come back and re resume conversations with him and resume the friendship. Uh -huh. Does that sound right? Uh, well, you know, in the case of Jason, like Jason is somebody who knows what's best for me. 
Um, like a Jewish grandmother. Yeah. And, and, you know, he'll get an idea that he really wants me to sign off on, you know, like, um, are you eating enough? Are you hydrating? Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they both know exactly what I need. And, and, uh, you know, and I think they experiment with things that they wish that they would try, but it's a lot easier to suggest that I try them. I mean, Jason stays hydrated. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the thing it's, about, he seems like that type that would, he's very hydrated. Yeah. yeah. The thing about staying hydrated is it, it it's <laughs> it's into that category of like, well, this is something I do now. I do it every day. I do it routinely. Sure. It's an activity and, almost. Well, yeah. And routine is something I've always equated with breaking the conga line. Right. Uh, and I have routine now. I've given myself something to do every day. Like I record a podcast every day at 10, except right. for this show that I do with you at 11. Right. And that's the thing that interrupts the, interrupts the, the, uh, on Thursdays I start at 11, but every day I set my alarm for nine 45 mm-hmm. and I, and it goes off at nine 45 and I get up and I tumble down the stairs and hopefully I have some coffee left over from yesterday Right. Those still, days when it's I, still good. It's still good. Yeah, those days when I don't and I have to make a pot of coffee between uh, nine fifty AM and the ten o'clock start time of uh, my show. Yeah. It's just like uh, uh but I splash some water on my face uh-huh. and I roll in and I sit down in the chair and then there's some friend of mine on the other end of a of a set of headphones and I'm talking to them and I'm not in my it's not like I've been awake for five hours. I'm not in my best thinking mode. I'm I have sure. no idea what it would be like if I recorded all of these podcasts at 5 p.m. or at 11 p.m. I mean, they would sound so different. You would get such a different bunch of shows out of me if I was recording at 11 p.m. Would they be better? I don't know. I mean, if you think about... um you know, that episode of Roderick on the line where I was at Merlin's house and we were talking about Chinese food. Uh, that was one that was recorded in the afternoon. What the, the rare one that was recorded. In the I want to, now I want to kind of do one with you later. I mean, I would just be, I would be in full possession of my, oh, I like I'm, this is enticing. Faculty. This is exciting to me. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, so much of these shows, I am still, half asleep. Right. And I'm still like, I don't like that. I'm searching for words and I'm kind of like trying to collect my thoughts and still, you know, and I'm a very slow person to wake up Mm. in general. If you wake me up at 10, like it takes me an hour and a half. And, and, and if I wasn't doing a show, I like, but the, my best life is one where I wake up and I sit and read the newspaper and have a donut and two and a half cups of coffee (laughs) and then work on the crossword puzzle a little bit before anyone speaks to me. And then at some point I put the paper down. I, I pick up the cup of coffee and I go start looking for somebody, you know, someone in my house. And it's one of the reasons I, I don't live with people because that's just not how most mornings go with other people. Um, and it was why my mom and I were such good roommates because 
she doesn't want to talk to anybody in the morning either. And she, she grew to understand that when I woke up, it was the middle of her day. So she was just like, I've got all these questions to ask. You. Oh yeah. I read all this stuff in the newspaper and I really want to talk to you about it. And I would say over and over like, mom, you woke up at five 30 and you've had five straight hours of right. alone time. Right. And I need that too. And she'd be like, oh, right. And she'd go leave, you know. And that's hard to ask of someone that you're in a relationship with. Like, hey, good morning. I'd rather not see you or talk to you or answer any questions <laughs> for several hours. Right. But because of this, because of this job I've given myself, like I wake up in the morning and I, I, I have to interact immediately. What's nice is that you're not in the, you're not looking at me. Right. right? I don't have to, to, you can be wearing whatever you want to wear. You can be in the tub, you can be in bed, but it's, I just need your voice and part of your brain. It's the sustained eye contact that I really don't want in the morning. Yeah. I don't want to be looked at and I don't want to look at anybody. Sure. But yeah, if I, if you don't want to see or be seen. See or be seen. Right. But all of these shows, if I recorded them at 9 p.m. when I'm in my, you know, between 9, 9, 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. when I'm in like full flight. Right. That's your zone. Where I've got all my my brain and it's all been thinking about stuff all day. And maybe that's what's nice is that because I never come to these shows with any plan, any preconception of what I'm going to talk about. Because I, uh, my brain is empty. I sit down here. I've been awake 10 minutes. I'm just taking my first sip of coffee. I'm still one foot in the dreamland. Yeah. You're like, it's like primordial. Yeah. And you say, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, Oh, it's good. And just kind of start like automatic talking almost. If I, if, if, if you called me up at, 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 uh, 11 PM and said, how's it going? I would say, here's the thing about mass transit or, you know, here's something that we need to know about how the spleen operates. And it would just, it would be so, it just, they would just be radically different. So now, but I have this habit. I have a pattern now I have, I go to work and, and it, it does put structure, but it doesn't feel like I'm living a healthy life. Mm. Because the idea of getting up at nine and having breakfast and having reading some kind of newspaper and then walking in, sitting down at my podcast chair and going to work after, you know, like having a complete morning, that's just unattainable somehow for some reason. And so it feels every day like, like it's like, oh shit, I got to get Oh no, there's no coffee. Oh shit. You know, Oh, it's already 10 Oh two. Like I got to get in there. Like it's all, it just feels, um, I like, I'm like, it's not even a dangerous edge. It's not like riding a motorcycle across the Andes. It's this, it's, it's these little like, like paltry edges. Oh, am I going to make it? all the way into the podcast and, and it's a, it's like a cheap, it's a cheap danger that, um, but that makes me feel like it's so different from, 
I'm going to go 30 days and eat just healthy food. And I admire it. I wish I could, I wish I could, and I will, right? Some, at some point this year, I'm going to get my back collected and I'm going to start doing beach body too. Right. And I'm going to do 30 days of good eating and you know, because I because I do cycle through periods where I'm uh, attentive and uh, and sort of patient with myself, and and the results are always undeniable. I feel so much better. I'm like all these great Americans that walk around saying, "I'm never going back." I'm, you know, it's so easy. That's the thing. It's so easy to just not eat garbage. It's so easy to walk a little bit every day. Um, it's just so hard to stay hydrated. 